Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we will be discussing some of the resources we use in writing TV scripts. And these are all things we use or have used and can be personally recommended by us and are essentially evergreen recommendations. So let's get to it. So the first topic that we're going to tackle are the books that we use to learn the craft of writing or brush up on certain areas of it that have been really helpful to us. Yeah. So what are some of the books that you learned the craft from or that you have found useful in learning, especially on the half hour side of things? Yeah, definitely. There's a a number of really great comedy books that you can kind of like use to learn the craft of writing sitcoms. One of the first ones that I ever really encountered being from Australia was one called The Cheeky Monkey written by Tim Ferguson, who is a fairly well-known sort of comedian, comedy musician, writer over there, director now too. (laughs) See, even the name is funny. There you go. (laughs) He knows how to write comedy. Tim was actually ended up being a mentor of mine while I was studying at film school because they paired you up with sort of industry mentors. And I learned so much from him, but even just from his book and then the, the writing seminars and stuff that he does, it really is one of the few books out there that kind of breaks down comedy to its base level of what makes things funny. Like, what is it about a joke that is entertaining or surprising? Or is it, you know, we go over things like reversals, confirmations, subversion, uh, surprise, different kind of a classes of jokes and things that, you know, you get into. And I think a lot of books just kind of leave it up to the vague ether of like, yeah, you'll know if it's funny or not. Whereas this really breaks it down to the nuts and bolts of, of laughter mm. and comedy. This is a prequel to Curious George. Yes. It's his uh, gritty origin story. Mm, interesting. No, uh, but yeah, I definitely recommend that if you're a comedy writer, even if you kind of know all this stuff implicitly, I think it helps to see it written down on the page. And then when you are going through and you're looking at your jokes, you're like, well, why is this working? Why isn't this working? And you have a real structural knowledge of comedy. Yeah. On my side, I feel like the equivalent I would have to pick for the one hour drama books would be uh, Pamela Douglas's writing the TV drama series. Uh, because in my mind, it's an amazing breakdown of sort of this TV writing 101 idea of both on the industry side, but also on the writing side of this is how you write a script from A to Z, leaning into the whole outlining process, leaning in into the whole ABC story aspect of it all. And it's also a really good in-depth analysis of practical scripts that have existed in episodes that are popular. So for example, in the book, you will find, and maybe she has updated it since in the version that I had read, there was an in-depth analysis of an episode of NYPD Blue. And so she actually used the script of NYPD Blue to really show you on a scene-by-scene basis what the concept of an ABC story is and walking you through how to write that one hour drama series, especially for something that can seem overwhelming, a one hour, 60 page script. You're not quite sure when you're first starting out what it looks like. You're not Mm -hmm. quite sure how they structure it. And so that book really helped me understand and crystallize that idea on the basic level. Right. I think that's something we kind of take for granted now, having been so familiar with the format and and how it all works. But people who maybe come from different areas of writing, whether it's short stories or poetry or just, you know, stand up comedy or whatever, and don't know what a script even looks like or how it should be structured or where the act break should fall, things like that. You really do need some of these books that give you the basics. Yeah. And on that technical structural aspect of the craft, I did want to mention another book that really helped me out, which was uh, Larry Brody's television writing from the inside out, which is another one of those more technical oriented books about the outlining process. 
And he does a great job at walking you through every major step of the writing process, specifically spending a lot of time on the outline stage, which for all intents and purposes is going to be the blunt of your work on staff is you're going to be breaking stories from A to Z before even going to draft. So that's admittedly the majority of the work. And so it makes sense that in this book, he spends the majority of the book talking about it. Right. I and mean, from the comedy side, if you're wanting something that gives you that real 101 masterclass in the actual writing of a comedy script and how that all works and how it interfaces with the production, I think you can't really go past the TV Writer's Handbook by Ellen Sandler. I think that that's really what gave me my grounding in writing comedy scripts. And I was also lucky enough to see her speak at a conference in Melbourne at one point. And so while The Cheeky Monkey gave me a good foundation in comedy and what's funny, it wasn't as specific to screenwriting or TV writing. Whereas The TV Writer's Handbook, Ellen Sandler was a writer producer on Everybody Loves Raymond for many, many years. And she really just lays it out in a very understandable way, both the structure side of things of this is how you write a script itself, but also getting to the heart of it. It's like one of the things she talks about is like, why this night of any other night? Or why is it that we're coming into this episode? What has just changed in the equilibrium of this world to kickstart the story? Like little things like that, that really delve into the heart of story that make it so much more accessible and understandable. Mm, so it's like the Seder version of a script. Why yeah, is she, this? She, uh... No, she literally like <laughs> references that. That's what you know, Interesting. <laughs> she calls it. So that is funny. On my side, like for a more catch-all, kind of book, I would recommend Marty Cook's Right to TV, which is kind of like a, a master TV writing class condensed into one book. Uh, she does talk about uh, TV writing, but for every genre possible, from comedy to drama, one hour, half hour, original drama pilots, and even children's TV, reality, unscripted news, all these different elements coming together in this book. So if you want a sort of an overall basis in the catch-all kind of book, I would definitely recommend that one. Yeah. And if you're looking for even more traditional sitcom kind of structure and understanding of how perhaps some of those classic sitcoms, like, you know, the Friends or Frasier, Cheers, that sort of thing work, uh, I could definitely recommend Elephant Bucks by Sheldon Bull. And that really delves into more of the two act structure of sitcom, the classic kind of like whether it's a multicam or a single, you know, that kind of everything's ramping itself up towards this midpoint. And then the big thing changes and they have to go about it in a whole different way. And then it goes, you know, again in the second act towards some sort of big climax. And so it's a very simple comedic storytelling structure, but it's very effective and it's been used on these shows that have ran for many, many years. And Sheldon Bull was a writer on a number of those shows. So I definitely recommend checking that one out as well. And the last two sort of TV running books that I wanted to mention are Crafty TV Running by Alex Epstein and Successful TV Running by Lee Goldberg. Now they're not as in-depth as the other ones that we mentioned so far, but they're good sort of starting points and branching out from the content that the other books have. Uh, in Crafty TV Running, one is probably one of the more classic ones. It talks a lot about spec writing, which the other books don't really get too much into depth. So that's good. Yeah, you'll notice that we're not really talking about the traditional things you'll think of when you think of screenwriting books, which is a story by Robert McKee and screenplay by Sid Field and all that kind of thing, because while they do have a lot of interesting content in them, they are more geared towards writing feature screenplays, and they are quite often dense and hard to really extract a lot of the practical information from. So we feel like these are more accessible volumes that will um, speak to TV writing specifically. Also, McKee is a nemesis of the podcast. So. <laughs> yes, that too. 
<laughs> He'll hunt uh, us down one day. But where are some of the maybe broader craft-based books that we could recommend that we have used ourselves in shaping up specific areas of our scripts? One book that I was recommended years ago by a friend when I was really first delving into writing and helped me kind of break down the process of writing, I guess, was this one called The Coffee Break Screenwriter by Pilar Alessandra, who's a, a story consultant, and I believe she has her own podcast called On the Page. And what that helped you do was kind of gave you like set exercises that you could do in 10-minute chunks. So when you have um, you know, a lunch break or a coffee break at work or in your day, you can sit down and you can work out your protagonist's motivation in one session, or you can sit down and you can work out the, the beats of your A story or whatever it happens to be. So it really made it, again, like an accessible way to kind of take your writing process into smaller chunks and then eventually be able to put that all together into something rather than staring at this big overwhelming thing of how do I even begin writing a pilot or a script. That's interesting. I have sort of the more hippy-dippy version of that, uh, which is The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield, which is a little bit more esoterical. It's about the mind frame of this idea that there's no muse really, because at the end of the day, when you have to write, you have to write. It's all about the discipline rather than this ephemeral concept that you have to wait until this magical point in your life where you can write these different things. And so The War of Art is really about that mind frame and really clarifying that there's no such thing, uh, that the muse doesn't really exist. It's not about waiting for it to strike. It's about actively, proactively writing on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that's one of the mental blocks that a lot of writers, when you're first getting into it, have to learn to overcome is this notion of you can't just write when you feel struck by, you know, creativity and, and whatever, because, you know, realistically, once you're working in a TV writer's room, you don't get that luxury. You're going to have to turn out your scripts and you're going to have to hand them in on deadlines. So starting to understand that from the very beginning, I think, is a good way to start to establish your habits and your structure and your process. Yeah, and in terms of the minutiae of the script, there were a few books that we wanted to recommend, uh, one of which is The Hollywood Standard, which is a great book of reference for how to format a script. And I did want to mention also the uh, series of thesaurus called Emotion Thesaurus. There's also the Action Thesaurus and different ways of conveying the emotion of your character and what they're feeling through words. And so it definitely helps you shape the prose of your writing in more uh, evocative ways. Yeah, totally. Sometimes you're just searching for a word and you can't find it. And those books will help you a lot with that. Uh, speaking of series of books that kind of tackle a wide number of topics, there is a great book series called the Blue Book Series by William or Bill Martell uh, of House Martell. <laughs> <laughs> and he, oh my, there are probably... 20, 30, even more of these books. And they are mostly all available just as eBooks on Kindle or iPad or whatever, but they are pretty accessible. They're very easy to read. They contain a lot of information, but it's it's spaced out in, in, in that kind of way. And it covers everything from dialogue to characters, to coming up with ideas for story, to structure, like you name it, there's a blue book about it. And they're pretty cheap. They're like a couple of dollars each. Yeah. And uh, lastly, we would be remiss not to mention On Writing by Stephen King, which is probably one of the most famous books about writing that is extremely useful, not just about the mind frame of it, but actually conveying a sense of accessibility to the craft itself. Yeah, totally. It's sort of like half instructional and half autobiography of Stephen King's life and how he came to be a writer, which is also fascinating for many other reasons. You know, this guy's so prolific and has achieved so much. But at one point, he was just a regular school teacher trying to churn out these books in his spare time in between working two or three jobs. And a lot of people can relate to that and, and see themselves and like, this could be me. I could have this kind of success if I dedicate myself to my craft and get it done. Yeah, except instead of books, it's TV scripts. <laughs> 
Speaking of TV scripts, let's talk about scripts and ways of obtaining them. So first and foremost, we will give you some resources for script libraries. Where can you actually find scripts and screenplays to read and start to learn from? And the first and foremost of those is the Writers Guild Foundation Library on 3rd and Fairfax in Los Angeles. You don't have to be a Writers Guild member to go in and use that. You can just walk in. You can pick stuff off of the shelves and read them. You can't take them out of the building. I think you may be allowed to like photocopy a limited number of pages. I don't know. Yeah, I don't believe you're really allowed to photocopy it. I just know that it has to stay in the premises until you're done. They usually give you even iPads with hundreds and hundreds of TV scripts of episodes, including episodes that aired very recently, which is not something you'll find anywhere else. So the Res Guild Foundation Library, which is on Third of Fairfax, where the Guild is, is probably the best script library I know of. Right, because they have direct contacts with all of these WGA members who are running these shows, and they will ask them, can you please send us your scripts when your season is done or whatever it happens to be? And, and many, many shows will do that. Also, it's right across from the grove so you can go and get a, a nice meal at the <laughs> farmer's market and have a night make a day out of it yeah it's extremely useful if you're writing let's say a spec script of an existing show because they will have sample after sample of those scripts produced episodes actually both uh, the writer's draft as well as the production draft so use that resource in other script libraries this there's, there's some guy called tv calling i don't oh. know it seems it doesn't seem very <laughs> reputable i don't know no it's very shady we <laughs> no a few years ago i started this uh, tv calling script library it's exactly what it sounds like we list pilots mostly some uh, other episode scripts of uh, shows and all those links and many others will be found in the show notes you can just google tv calling script library and you'll find it either way yeah and there's a couple of other script libraries up on the internet there's this one that's like sites.google.com slash tv writing etc we'll put, we'll put a link in there there's a bunch of scripts in there there's also a script library from a website called the script lab which i believe has other writing resources as well but importantly one of the ones that i really want people to take a look at are the scripts that are put up by the oscars and the emmys by the academies to kind of show off the the scripts that were nominated or won awards respectively on the feature or tv side and those are incredibly useful because they are really the pinnacle of the craft and they're ones that other writers and producers and directors and talent are recognizing as the best scripts out there that you can learn a lot from it is worth mentioning though that some of the scripts not all but some of the scripts are essentially recreations of the produced episode as opposed to the scripts that were used during production so that's one thing to keep in mind is what you're reading is the output of the movie or the episode not necessarily the thing that went into production. And so you can compare and contrast those scripts to the ones in the Resgeld library, for example, to really see the differences. So just on that basis, I think they're very useful to read. And lastly, we got to mention that some fan sites of older shows will also have their own libraries of almost all the scripts uh, like Star Trek or Buffy and Angel. And those are actual scripts or content of the scripts of those episodes, not just the transcripts, which is what most people are going to find online. All right, let's move on to apps and softwares that we use to write. And first of all, what software do we use to write? <laughs> I mean, obviously the industry standard is Final Draft and not just, you know, because of its functionality and, and its ease of use and that sort of thing, but that is just going to be the default in most, if not all writers' rooms. There are occasionally people who use what, Movie Magic or something yeah. like that instead. But if you are writing scripts on a TV show, you will be expected to be doing it in Final Draft. Now they may even give you the software or give you a computer that has the software on it. So 
if you got staff and you don't own Final Draft, then that's okay, but you should know how to use it. Yeah, absolutely. Some rooms will have different softwares, but they're all based on the preferences of either the showrunner or the script coordinator if the script coordinator has much weight with the showrunner. So Final Draft is the default. There's no two ways around it. If you don't have a copy of Final Draft or license to use it, then when you are staffed nine times out of 10, they're going to furnish you with one. So it's not going to be a huge deal. As long as you're familiar with it and understand how to use it, especially if you ever do work your way up as a sort of a writer's assistant and as a script coordinator in particular, you definitely need to know that inside and out. Absolutely. But where are some of the other softwares that we use uh, to write and outline? Way back in the day when I first started screenwriting, I was using Celtex or Keltex uh, as that was a free low budget solution that more or less replicated what you could do. But I believe it's changed a lot now in the last few years. It's moved online and it costs money or something. So I would not recommend that anymore. But that definitely used to be one way to kind of get in. And then uh, another one that I have used before is Highland, which is John August from Script Notes Podcast and other various fames, created this program uh, for script writing. And I actually mainly use it now. I tried using it for writing and the system is a little bit clunky and it's, it's tough to get used to. If you got used to it, I'm sure you'd be fine, but I couldn't quite familiarize myself with it enough or feel comfortable enough with it to use it for all writing. So I basically just use it now to melt down PDFs into final draft formats. It's useful as sort of like a tool instead of uh, a writing software for me, at least. Yeah. In terms of full-on script writing software, I've dabbled in Faden and Writer Duet, but at the end of the day, I still come back to Final Draft because it is the industry standard for better or for worse. And there's no real reason for me to go to Writer Duet or Fade In outside of the cool stats or reports that they give you. Now, in terms of the outlining process, I did want to mention Scrivener, which I use and have used in the past. And it's a great way of indexing your script or your book or your pilot or whatever it is and visualize and color code exactly all the scenes throughout the concept, whether it's the A story, the B story, and so forth, as well as the characters. So that's a great way on a digital level to really see and visualize the outline process. And aside from actual screenwriting software itself, there are a number of other programs and software that are commonly used in writing and in writer's rooms. Uh, a big one is Google Docs. Many people will do their outlines on Google Docs or the Microsoft Word version of that within the thing. Like you don't need to own Word, it's all online, but it's collaborative. Everyone can have access to it who has the link to it. So in our writer's room for Final Space, we've broken up outlines by give one act to each writer and then we'll all go off and we will write those outlines and we can see what people are changing and what they're doing and how that affects things. Yeah. And that's also used for writer's assistant notes also because everybody has access to those very easily. So it's definitely a tool that you need to look into. Another tool that we didn't want to mention is Google Keep. At least I use it a lot to keep notes and different thoughts. It's on my phone. It's on my computer. It syncs everywhere. And that's a very easy app to use. Yeah, I just use the the Apple Notes or whatever whatever it's called, and that kind of syncs across both my laptop and my phone, and I can edit things on the fly. So any sort of cloud-based software where you're not having to transfer things across, I think is, is particularly useful for taking notes and such. Yeah, another software I did want to mention is Sublime Text, which is mostly used for coding purposes, but I like the minimalistic look to it. It's basically a text editor. So it's a great way, kind of like what Notepad is on Windows. I sometimes use it for bare bones, sort of word vomit of dialogue or scenes or things in my head. One sort of like workflow software I'll mention that I've found really useful is Slack. 
you can create these kind of workspaces and you can create different channels. So for my writing partner and I, we will create a new channel for each different project we're working on. And so if we have some particular notes for one project or we have a new draft we want to upload, you can put all those files into there to keep track of them. You can keep track of your conversations rather than losing them over text chains or emails and having to keep all those things. So it puts it all in one place and can use it for multiple different purposes. Yeah, Slack is fantastic. I'm lobbying for every room I'm in to move to Slack, but nobody's willing to do it. <laughs> one day it'll happen. So we've covered software, but what about more hardware or tools Ooh. or even objects that we uh, use to write? Mm-hmm. I like the way you're thinking. Uh, <laughs> one of the physical tools I use is Moleskin Notebook. I know that may sound like a product placement. I just really like their notebook. And sometimes it's good to have something physical to write in. I think this is something that's lost to a lot of people because they love to type and write and use an actual keyboard. However, when you use an actual nice pen on a nice notebook, I think it does make a difference. Just putting out those thoughts into the world. Yeah, it kind of changes how you think about things when you compare writing on some scrap piece of paper with a $2 Bic pencil or pen or whatever it happens to be compared to getting a really nice maybe fountain pen or one of those those higher end ones and, and a nice notebook because it's going to change kind of like, you know, well, I want to put this idea down on here and I'm going to keep it and put it in this pride of place. And I don't know, there's just some kind of weird psychological interaction about putting pen to paper that, that really helps sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't have to be something fancy. It doesn't have to be anything relevant to your script. I just think that writing things out physically can definitely help not just remember things, but also process things and evoke things. On the flip side of that, one thing that I found really useful for me has been a Kindle, particularly a paper white, because it's it's not backlit. I mean, it is backlit, but in a way that's good for your eyes, it's kind of more like reading off of paper than it is a screen shining in your eyes and straining them. So what I've done with that is you can just drag and drop PDFs into your Kindle and open them up. And so you can be reading scripts and screenplays on there, whether they're your own or other ones that you want to get through. You can also have all of these screenwriting books and resources available at your fingertips. So you have all of these things literally in front of you at a moment's notice and it's a nice light thing to carry around in your bag yeah e-readers are huge game changers and like you just said i i feel like the actual it's not a screen it's actual ink that is magnetized so with little pearls of uh inks in the screen so e-readers are a game changer if you're constantly reading which you should be anyway that's the industry so the only downside that i've found in e-readers is just the size of the screen and to me that's just especially when you look at actual scripts hopefully one day we'll get a sort of a larger maybe an a4 letter size really good cheap enough e-reader but until then uh, the kindle and and the other brands are really useful yeah, that's a good point. But it is nice to take a break from staring at a laptop screen and having to cart that around. And it also gets you free of distractions in terms of the internet or clicking over to Facebook because you can't really do that on Kindle. iPads will also work. And in fact, if you're making notes on scripts, you can even annotate directly onto scripts with um, you know, a pencil or the keyboard or whatever you want. There are different programs available for that too. On a more low-tech side, we did want to mention index cards. Obviously, I use them frequently to outline. I did mention Scrivener earlier. This is the physical version of outlining. Use actual index cards on a whiteboard to map out your episode. I think it's a very useful tool physically to move things around. 
It may sound easy to do it on an app, but it's even easier to do it physically with index cards. It takes one second and you can truly, literally take a step back and look at your entire episode in one move. Yeah, and that is one of those things that changes your thought process about it and breaks you out of just looking at things on a screen or on a page. You can stand up and you can see each of these beats of story in their own little units and you can move them around and be like, well, would this scene be better here? You know, that's a lot easier to see that and visualize that than copy pasting in your final draft or your Word doc or whatever. So again, that's a very common technique in writer's rooms as well. So getting used to index cards uh, is, is gonna be helpful for you. Another hardware tool I did wanna mention is the time timer. I know I've not mentioned it in a hot set but if you remember, I used to mention it every other episode at the beginning of this podcast, just because I'm a huge fan of the Pomodoro technique, which is just a fancy way of saying you're breaking down a process into actionable, smaller step. And writing, especially TV writing, is a structural process. So you can always simplify what you're breaking down into smaller time periods. So let's say one draft has X acts and each act has X scenes, which represent an ABC story. The metric is already there to simplify your writing process to those bare bones element. That way you can, let's say, spend 25 minutes on a scene and take a five minute break between those scenes. In a day, you'll be basically done with your draft. Yeah, as we've spoken about in our productivity episodes, it's so much more achievable to set yourself a smaller measurable goal of write this scene or get, you know, whatever it happens to be out instead of just some generic work on script today. Yeah, and uh, the reason why I bring up Time Timer specifically, even though any kitchen timer works, is because the visual of Time Timer gives you an idea of how much time is left. It's sort of like this red circle that diminishes by every minute. I know it sounds more stressful than (laughs) it actually is. I just love visually what it shows you. It actually visualizes the time that is left in a very minimalistic, low-tech way, in a way that most kitchen timers don't really do. Right. And, you know, if if in a pinch you can use a timer on your phone or on your laptop, some other sort of app, if you really need to do that, you know, like Alex said, sometimes it helps to take things offline. Speaking of which, I find that it's been incredibly helpful to turn off the Wi-Fi on my laptop if I don't need it for research or whatever I happen to be doing at the time. It really minimizes those distractions in terms of clicking away onto Facebook or going down a Wikipedia rabbit hole or whatever it happens to be. So, you know, you can also get specific apps or software that will limit your internet access for a certain amount of time. I don't know if you use any of those. Yeah, I do. I'm actually a big fan of full screen apps. So if I'm in final draft or whatever it is, I'm going to go full screen and only look at that page and don't have any distraction even in my monitor. And speaking of which, I did want to mention monitors. I think that's a, a big thing to bring up is since we're looking at screens, we keep talking about screens get a good monitor, right? A good monitor that maybe even swivels around 90 degrees. It's gonna change your life. Looking at a page the way it should be, which is vertically, not horizontally, which most monitors are, get a good IPS display, a ThinkPad kind of display or an IPS. It feels like I'm talking dirty over here, but (laughs) anyway, my point is get a nice, maybe 20 plus inch, 25, 27, 30 inch, display that can also rotate. I know Dell does great displays, Lenovo does great displays, Samsung and so forth. It is going to change your life to look at something that looks like text and not pixels. There's a bag of money with a dollar sign here on it from uh, these companies (laughs) Alex is waiting for. (laughs) I'm just saying I recently got my new monitor and changed my life. That's all. Awesome. We've talked about apps, books, hardware, But what about websites that we use for the craft? 
Yeah, one of the classic ones we mentioned a number of times on the podcast is the website TV Tropes. And it's almost a list of things to avoid rather than <laughs> things to do. And it's funny because once you start writing on some shows, you will see your shows up on TV Tropes mm-hmm. and you'll get to see all of the mistakes that you made for everybody to laugh at. But, you know, they're not necessarily always mistakes. Like cliches and expectations are things in writing that you can use to your advantage. There are only so many stories to tell and so many devices to use. And this website will help you identify those and use them in a, a conscious way and in a intelligent way instead of falling into these traps yes and uh, we gotta give a warning though that uh, tv tropes is gonna sink your time it's sort of like a black hole of free time (laughs) you're gonna go down and down the rabbit hole looking at all these tv tropes so don't spend hours but be at least well aware of those tropes and i know subverting tropes is now a a bad term because of uh, last jedi and game of thrones but the reality is that you gotta be aware as a craftsperson as a writer of those tropes and those cliches and how they were executed in shows and movies. I think that's why TV tropes is so great is it's not just about giving you these abstract tropes. It's about showing you exactly how they were done in those shows and movies and and books. So use that resource wisely. In terms of other resources online, there are a couple of good blogs about writing, whether it be screenwriting or TV writing. And the two probably biggest ones out there, aside from our friend TV Calling, are John August's blog, again, the screenwriter from Script Notes and such. It's another really good resource where I think he was basically doing it before the podcast even yep. came about. And similar, he adds his sort of like listener's advice and uh, covers different topics. And then Scott Myers Go Into the Story blog, which I believe is now hosted on the, the Blacklist website, does a similar kind of thing covering different topics in entertaining and uh, educational ways yeah those are great sort of macro screenwriting blogs especially if you have basic questions i know that john created an faq that's like a subsite of johnaugus.com where he answers really broad basic screenwriting questions that you may have so those are really useful in terms of online communities or places for resources to be found there's obviously reddit which is so multifaceted there are a million different subreddits and things that you can uh, either draw inspiration from or find interesting things in specifically for screenwriting there's obviously our screenwriting which is a bit of a mixed bag like most of reddit uh it's basically (laughs) you know you might find some actual really great resources that people are sharing or you might find uh, someone who is a professional writer giving some advice or doing an ama or whatever it happens to be but there are probably also a lot of people sharing their log lines and uh, the first drafts of their scripts and stuff that may not be as useful to you or it might be you know you might want to look at one of those and see what they did wrong and what they did right so go check it out for yourself and see whether it's something you might find useful yeah i would say that reddit usually especially the screen subreddit is better used as a community than a resource for answers especially because you don't know who's behind the keyboard none of these people are vetted and the moderators make decisions that benefit themselves not necessarily the greater community (laughs) (laughs) but i will mention another subreddit that we uh, talked about previously which is r slash world building especially when you're sort of creating these big sci-fi epic worlds world building is a great place for resources on doing legitimate world building. And now that's not to say you're gonna have to procrastinate for five months on this world building thing. I'm just saying it's one of the many resources available to you if you're interested in that department. And uh, briefly, I did wanna mention obviously some of the TV calling links, mainly the screenwriting lessons from series where I looked at iconic TV shows and took lessons, screenwriting lessons from those shows, including Farscape, Six Feet Under, Friends, and so forth. Any of those links and many more can be found in the TV writing tab on TV Calling. You just go on the website, Google TV Calling, I'll be there. And uh, there's plenty of uh, dozens, hundreds, I don't know how many other posts over the decade <laughs> I've, uh, I've discussed on those very specific TV writing topics. So I'm sure there's plenty of answers there as well. 
But what about some web apps that we use for the craft? Yeah, there's a couple of good ones. One that I, I think is a good sort of like yardstick rather than a thing to live by is uh, the Hemingway editor. And that is essentially going by the principles of Ernest Hemingway's writing, which is to keep things like strong and positive and simple in their actions and uh, their writing. You know, just like Hemingway's sort of style, you can paste chunks of text in that you have written, and it will tell you whether you're using too many adverbs, like quickly and uh, frightfully and things like that. It'll tell you if you're using a lot of passive voice, or you're writing overly complicated phrases or sentences that are too long or hard to read. And I think that, you know, these principles do kind of map onto screenwriting in a fairly strong way. No, I definitely agree. I've used it myself many times. I would say mostly for prose writing, because at the end of the day, what you're writing in the prose has to be digestible. It has to be evocative. It has to be simple and compelling. And all those things add up. And a lot of, especially newer writers, have the tendency to overwrite their prose and want it to be more flowery than it needs to be. Because again, a script is only a blueprint for something that has to be produced. You know, you're not going to be nominated for the prose of rewriting. Despite the people winning Emmys for their scripts, these people are not winning Emmys for the prose in their scripts. Believe <laughs> me they're winning emmys for the script and the production value of the scripts and the compelling story obviously but not really the prose of it so that's not to say you have to have bad prose i'm just saying that hemingway editor like nick said is a great tool to simplify and get to the point on the flip side of that, if you want to make your writing more interesting, or perhaps you're running up against the same kind of words and phrases and descriptions that you're using over and over again, then you can't really beat uh, thesaurus.com. You know, find some alternatives to these words that you're using. Again, you don't want to use like $10 words and things that are going to distract from the process, but every now and then you might just want to spice things up, or you're, you're trying to find a word that you can't quite think of. And another good resource for that is Rhyme Zone. It's not just rhymes, although it was very helpful in writing a musical pilot as I did <laughs> recently. There are a number of different functions you can find words that are related to this. You can find words that begin with the same letter, different things like that. So that has a number of really cool functions. Hmm, I've got a writing exercise for you. Write an entire script where every single prose sentence has a rhyme in it. Oh God, please no. <laughs> but what about sort of the more backdrop things that we use to create the ambiance and the mood? Yeah, I find it helpful to, I, I guess I need some sort of like white noise or thing to to block out the outside for me to keep my attention focused on writing. And one of the things that I've used for that is rainymood.com. It gives this kind of like white noise of like a, a rainstorm happening in the background as though it's outside. You know, I'm someone who finds that very comforting. So that's always been cool. And they, they often recommend music to play along with that. But you can also find your own music playlists. I like things like jazz or soft instrumental piano or guitar. There's even a, a genre called chill step, which is kind of like a soft like drum and bass dubstep type thing anything without lyrics i think lyrics are a bit distracting but that will help you focus alternatively you can also put on like an original soundtrack from a similar film or tv show or an album that has a vibe to put you in the mood for that project yeah i use uh, similar techniques uh, when it comes to the audio space i like to use my noise canceling headphones and this is probably something i should have mentioned in the hardware uh, section but i'll mention it now i have those fancy bose headphones and it's the best purchase I made all of last year. I can tell you right now, even in my own home, I use them almost nonstop. It's great because it cuts you from the outside world and you can focus even without putting a single piece of music or rainy mood. It just blocks the outside sound from entering your brain. So you don't even need to have white noise because the white noise exists within the headphones, so to speak. Now, on top of that, you can create those playlists. I do love also soundtracks, especially if it marries the mood, if it's like a tense scene or an emotional scene or an upbeat scene 
scene. Uh, and sometimes I like to play some actual music. I know uh, vocals are distracting for you, but sometimes I like to play some pop songs just because they match the tempo of the actual scene I'm writing, especially if it's something more upbeat. And the last thing we should mention in terms of these online resources are the cheat sheets from our very own Patreon, which you can find at paperteam.co slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So if you subscribe at the staff writer level to a Patreon, which is $5 a month, then you get access to, I think we already have four or five of them out now. Oh no, we have even more than that, oh, my okay. friend. We have seven cheat sheets. There you go. We have seven cheat sheets from basically going back and summarizing our old episodes, a lot of the most popular episodes and the ones that people found useful into fairly digestible, maybe three, four pages of bullet points. You can take away those lessons from very easily. And they are published monthly, so new ones keep coming in. So it's not just these seven. <laughs> yeah, you'll get a new one every single month. Eventually, we'll categorize our whole library of episodes. Yeah, in like well. 130 months. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, you, if more people go into our Patreon, we will have the resources to do it. So. Yes. Let's get into some podcasts. And uh, just a quick disclaimer, we will not be mentioning Paper Team on this <laughs> section. <laughs> if you're already listening to Paper Team, I assume you know about Paper Team. But yes, no, just to clarify, these are the podcast resources that we use for the craft of writing specifically. We'll probably do a later episode about the more business and career-oriented resources that we love, like the Screenwriter's Rant Room. Shout out to Hilliard, or even for me, the Australian Screenwriter's Podcast done by Duncan. So these are the ones that are more specifically about writing itself. The first couple of podcasts that they want to mention are podcasts that are for actual shows and are made by the showrunner or creators of the show to display how those shows are made. So the two I did want to mention is the Breaking Bad Insider podcast and the Battlestar Galactica podcast with Ron Moore. Both of those are obviously shows that have come and gone, but those episodes still hold value. And if you look at, let's say, a Breaking Bad episode or Breaking Bad Insider podcast episode, first of all, they do it for every single episode, right? It's not just a one and done thing. It's they do it across the whole show. And on top of that, the podcast brings in relevant creative people to talk about their own episodes. So let's say an actual writer really nailed it out of the park on a specific episode. They're going to bring that person in to talk about the craft of that episode. And it's really in-depth detail that you're not going to get anywhere else from the horse's mouth. These are the people who made those episodes to talk about the craft of those episodes. So this is a resource that is probably the most undervalued of any that we've talked about so far. Yeah, totally. And I think you'll find some similar resources in more of the third-party podcasts along the lines of the Writers Panel with Ben Blacker, which has been going for however many hundreds and hundreds of episodes now, where he will interview a number of specific writers and talk to them about their experiences on the show. And, you know, we'll delve into the writing side as well as the business side. And then Third and Fairfax, which is the actual official Writers Guild podcast, where they will, again, bring in showrunners and talk in depth about their shows or someone who wrote an episode that won an Emmy or something like that, and really keeps you up to date on what's been going on in the industry and then gives you insight into the craft of writing as well. Another newer podcast that we recently discovered was To Live and Dialogue in LA, which we mentioned a few episodes back, and that's hosted by Aaron, who's a professor at Yale of screenwriting, and he has a number of really high-profile guests going back through their careers and uh, how they came up through that and what they learned about writing along the way, so I definitely recommend checking that out too. Yeah, I think the best thing about all those podcasts is that it allows you to hear firsthand a bunch of people's experiences because everyone has different experiences, backgrounds, stories, approaches to writing, especially in TV. There's so many different ways of making a TV episode, really, that it's really interesting and compelling to hear how a specific showrunner breaks an episode or how a specific writer has to 
blend their own voice to that of someone else's. And to hear the stories firsthand is great. And if you want more of a, a broader overview of sort of writing in the industry, some of the classic staples of podcasts are obviously Script Notes with John August and Craig Mazin, and then also Children of Ten Do, which is more TV focused with Javi and Jose. And uh, those can provide some super valuable insights into writing. They have great guests, that kind of thing. They are like the the, the standard bearers of the, the, the writing podcast industry. Yeah. I would say warning of the Children of Ten Do one. Some of them can be a pretty long and unedited, but I think that's part of the fun. Totally. And speaking of long podcasts, uh, if you really want to get super in-depth, probably the most in-depth podcast I've ever listened to in terms of breaking down story and structure and character and motivation and things like that, are some uh, Australian guys, Chaz and Stu, who do the Draft Zero podcast, and they will spend three hours breaking down a movie and looking at how a character's arc goes through that, or they do multiple episodes on that. So the episodes come out fairly inconsistently now just because they put so much work into each of them but uh, there's a good back catalog of those and if you ever want to dive into a very specific kind of area i feel like it's the podcast equivalent of reading robert mckee or sid field they like really really delve into the the pathos and everything that goes into that so check that out if you're into in-depth podcasts yeah on the plus side you don't have to spend fifteen hundred dollars for this anymore <laughs> exactly <laughs> All right, let's wrap things up with some additional resources that we didn't want to mention that didn't quite fit in the other categories. So one of the biggest kind of epiphanies, I guess, I've had in screenwriting that really helped connect some dots for me and uh, make me a much stronger writer was this concept of buts and therefores, which was, I guess, popularized by Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park. And you can find this in either the Six Days to Air documentary they did about South Park, or there's some online videos as well. They go in and teach like a, a class at NYU. And essentially, it's this concept of, well, I'll, I'll read you their own words. One of them said, I call it the rule of replacing ands with either buts or therefores. And so it's always like this happens, and then this happens, and then this happens. Whenever I can go back in the writing and change it to this happens, therefore this happens, but this happened, whenever you can replace your ands with buts or therefores, it makes for better writing. So essentially, it's ensuring that there is cause and effect in your story. Instead of something just randomly happening and then another thing coming out of nowhere and, and then this happens over here, uh, a character does something and it causes an effect and there's a consequence and then that consequence follows itself through the story on a plot level and a character level and you know everything that is being done is because of the work you've done in your story instead of random plot devices and daily machina. And we like big butts and we cannot lie. <laughs> Another thing that uh, at least I want to mention is audio commentaries with showrunners and writers on Blu-rays and DVDs. So many people have those box sets of shows and they never listen to the commentaries, especially when it comes to unusual narrative episodes or unique episodes. Listen to them because they're going to give you actual insights with how they came up with that narrative or that structure. So examples would be the constant episode on Lost or the Hush episode on Buffy, if you hear the writers who are usually the creators of the show talk about the craft and in that way, it's sort of this unique, almost like masterclass directly with them talking about the episode as you watch with them. I think this is something that's not really been used by a lot of people. And obviously it can be hit or miss depending on if they meander around unrelated content, maybe drama off screen with the actors or whatever. But some of those audio commentaries are really valuable. Yeah, I definitely recommend the Simpsons audio commentary as well. Some awesome kind of insights and uh, stories that go on there. Another sort of random resource I did want to bring up again is the Big Brother live feeds. What 
You thought I wouldn't go an episode with <laughs> Big Brother? Oh, <laughs> you are wrong. Well, I love Big Brother amongst many other shows. And the Big Brother live feeds are truly what makes Big Brother special. It's basically a 24-7 unedited live footage of what's going on in the house. And that's especially useful, not just in terms of uh, the characters and the people in the house, but really in terms of dialogue, because you can actually hear uncensored how people speak. And I know it sounds maybe weird and creepy, but that's basically listening to conversations at a coffee house. And you get to do that almost, well, not for free, but for cheap on CBS All Access. And it's really useful to sort of see how different people talk from different regions. And I just think it's this great social experiment that's available to you. So why not use it? Uh, the last thing that I'll suggest in terms of writing and finding inspiration is just to pay attention to what's going on in the world. Go and look at all the different news websites on the Reddit main page, whatever it happens to be. I think that more often than not, I can always draw inspiration from something that is happening around the world or has happened historically, interesting facts, events, things like that. You just want to kind of take in a lot of information and see what sticks out to you as there's some Something in this. And on that note, before we go, don't forget that we are now on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you will get, as we mentioned, awesome cheat sheets, exclusive content, and merch. And we can keep producing an amazing show like this one for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for tuning in. You can get all the show notes, including all the resources we mentioned in this episode at paperteam.co slash 139. And as always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Uh, we are going to be tackling our paper scraps for June. So we'll be taking a look at what's happening around the industry and interesting articles and events that are going on that we will comment about. Tune in for the hottest TV tape in the industry. Blazing. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> See you then.